0: Welcome to Risking Enchantment, a podcast about art, beauty and the Catholic faith, hosted by Rachel Sherlock. Hello and welcome to Risking Enchantment. For this week's episode, you've got myself, Rachel Sherlock, and joining me once again is Phoebe Watson. Hello! Welcome back to the show, Phoebe. It's
1: good to be back.
0: And thank you to all of our listeners. I realised there was a bit of a break in our episodes. Uh, I essentially skipped an episode. I have been a little bit run down. Nothing scary, but it's just been...
1: (laughs) It's been a long spring. Yeah. Winter spring. (laughs)
0: um so it just i don't know i just needed a break but it means that this is now the last episode of Risky Enchantment for this season we will look forward to being back in september i've already lined up some episodes that i'm going to be recording soon for the next season i feel a little nervous announcing this because i don't quite know when it's going to happen but i believe i'm also going to be on an episode of pints with
1: jack I'm sure you'll announce it on Instagram and Twitter when it does happen. Yes,
0: Uh, so you can look out for that as well. But yeah, it it was kind of interesting because I was sort of fretting about getting an episode up on time and Phoebe and my mom and other people were reminding me that it's okay, you don't, like, there's no point stressing or, or impacting your health. And the irony of all of this is that the topic that we had picked out for this episode was about health and well-being.
1: <laughs> yeah, I essentially said that we couldn't do it if it was impacting your health and well-being.
0: <laughs> and just to be clear, I was yeah. just a bit run down, but yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was just one of those things where it's like, Oh, That's maybe quite funny. Maybe I should take my own advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, as you mentioned Phoebe, we've been in the middle of spring, and I think our last episode that uh, that I did with Robin, we were talking about nature. I feel like nature has kind of been on my mind a lot this this season of the podcast and this time of year that uh it's just been kind of playing on my mind how much I really need to engage in the seasons and in nature and in creation and how beneficial that is for me and as as I expect for everyone and we were rereading a book that both Phoebe and I love for our book club we were rereading Goodnight Mr Tom.
1: It's such a good book highly recommend.
0: I would say uh, it's hard to say because I do reread Lord of the Rings a lot and Mm. Lord of the Rings is my favourite book but Goodnight, Mr. Tom, might be the book I have read the most number of times.
1: Well, I mean, it's probably the same length as one book of the sixth Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: I can almost do it in one sitting. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a terrific book that I really enjoyed. I've got a, a slightly funny anecdote about it, which is that. So in secondary school or in high school, we have these exams. There's one in the middle of your time there called the junior cert and one at the end called the leaving cert. Um, Although technically you can leave after the junior cert as well.
1: For anyone in England, that's kind of similar to your O levels, but a bit younger for the junior cert.
0: Yeah. And so for the junior cert, you get assigned... I'm sure this will be familiar to most people, but you get assigned a, a novel, and then you have to, for English class, and you have to analyze it and write an essay about it for your exams, which is all well and good. Um, and my novel was not "Goodnight, Mr. Tom."
1: Uh, <laughs> That's a very important caveat. <laughs> uh,
0: it was, in fact, the novel that my brother was assigned for junior cert. Uh, my novel was. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, which I actually loved and really enjoyed reading and enjoyed going through it. But I remember in the run up to my exams, my mum was like, "Rachel, you're not allowed to read any other books. If you if you want to read, you should just reread To Kill a Mockingbird because you know you're trying to remember all these quotes and whatnot." And I'm not usually particularly rebellious, but I really. <laughs> Didn't feel like doing that, um, <laughs> and and luckily it didn't impact my, my my essay in the end. But I went behind my mom's back and picked up not my G-U-Cert book, but my brother's G-U-Cert book and read Goodnight, Mr. Tom. That, that, and Rachel. Had to do so so covertly, and it's so funny because there was one. There's a couple of really sad moments in in the book. And there's one in particular, which even to this day, whenever I read it, I just ball crying like it is inevitable. It's just waterworks everywhere. This is my first time reading it. And I remember... I remember I was hiding in the bathroom reading this bit of the book and my mum calls me for dinner and I'm like what do I do like I can't admit that I've been reading this book but I'm just crying and I can't stop so I I think I managed to gather myself together enough to have dinner like a regular person but yeah I just have this very vivid memory of the first time I read that book being like it's the only book that I've ever had to hide that I was reading
1: (laughs) and you got your comeuppance for it. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, So, I don't know, Phoebe, maybe you want to give a little bit of an overview
1: of the book Goodnight Mr. Tom. Sure. We're not going to give any spoilers, Mm -hmm. um, because it's probably not a book that most people have encountered, Um, or at least a lot of our friends have surprised us by not having encountered it Mm -hmm. when we thought they would have. It's about a young boy from London at the beginning of World War II, who is sent as an evacuee Mm. to the countryside. And he goes to stay with Mr. Oakley, who he then calls Mr. Tom. And he's just a very, he's just a very sickly little boy and has been very poorly treated in his life. It's quite clear
0: early on that not only is he sort of malnourished, which might have been typical for the time with like poverty, but he's also been quite badly beaten and abused by his mother. uh, And he is just... a a very poorly off boy.
1: Yeah, he's a very timid, shy, sickly Mm -hmm. little boy. And he's with this very gruff old man Mm -hmm. in his 60s who we find out is grieving for his wife who died 40 years ago. And it's a really lovely story of the two of them healing together Mm -hmm. that the boy's name is Will, William, Willie.
0: (laughs) And he's he's called variations of his name at different points in the book for different reasons, but Yeah. yeah. And it's just in such an idyllic setting. It's
1: such a beautiful English country village, like full of like... The milk and the, the blackberries. Black, and, oh, the blackberry picking scene is and, great,
0: and the picnics yeah. and the and you know and the community there is really beautiful. And he makes friends with the children. And it sounds very saccharine. Like I said, don't worry. There's plenty of like emotional heart to it as well. Uh, But even like I I love, you know, at one point they go to the nearest town and the town is even, the town sounds amazing. It's full of like sweet shops and libraries and art shops and fabric shops. and It's
1: just the nicest place in the world. (laughs) And yeah, they just, they really heal each other and they form this bond of love together. Yeah. And it's a really, there's a lot of patience and gentleness that comes into it. And Mr. Tom is helping to teach Willie to read And like seeing him through like the poor effects of his malnutrition. Yeah. And just kind of like very gently taking his time with him. And he's making friends in the village. Yeah. It's so lovely.
0: It's really lovely. And I think it's really key as well that first of all, that um, the community is a little sad for willie that he gets put with mr tom because he seems such like a gruff and impatient person but what he ends up showing willie is is a level of patience and practicality i think that's the other thing that mm-hmm. really comes through for yeah. us like there's a Just set- real common sense mm-hmm. and like as the space to feel your emotions and to um not have to hide everything away uh, and we will
1: pull out plenty of quotes of that later. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we're going to go into some
0: of the details of the, the book presently. But I think what I, I want to say first is just that when I was rereading it, I was like, oh, this would make a great topic for a podcast. But I was like, oh, is there kind of enough to talk about here and then I sort of had a light bulb moment where I was like wow there these themes are also really explored in in a kind of different way but in a surprisingly similar way in another of our favorite books which is The Secret Garden.
1: Also a great book I think we've talked about that one before.
0: Yeah absolutely and again if you don't know the story of The Secret Garden it's about a little Mary quite contrary who is sent from India to this house in the... In the Moors. In the Yorkshire Moors, um, after her her family is is killed during a... I think it's a...
1: Cholera outbreak? I Maybe a so. typhoid outbreak? I think it's cholera.
0: Mm. Um. But anyway, so she moves from being this sort of um, neglected and willful young girl to... Yeah.
1: Like the key part of her life in India is that her parents care nothing for her.
0: Mm-hmm. And then she finds herself... Uh, out in these, these Yorkshire moors and encouraged to go outside, and as you might expect, finds a secret garden. And she also ends up, and I don't want to give too much away, but having an encounter with um, another little boy who's quite sickly as well. And he's a cripple, he can't walk. And both of them finding new life and. The space to be children and the mm-hmm. space to heal and grow and that how much being in nature not only impacts their health but their like imagination and their ability to relate to one another and another boy called Dickon who's like the hearty Yorkshire boy who's encouraging them on and so yeah I just thought it was kind of interesting that these books and there's plenty more I think you're gonna <laughs> speak about Heidi
1: and there's another one that what like that I also loved as a child called what Katie did mm. there's a lot of healing in it we're not even going to touch that one I'm sure there's plenty of others that you're there like on the edge of your feet screaming at us for meant to mention yeah (laughs) do let us know
0: but (laughs) yeah Yeah. so it's a real theme across children's literature and I thought it was just kind of interesting to explore it a little bit about how health and community and love and nature and the natural world all kind of interact and I think one of the reasons it's a recurring theme in children's literature is because of the threat that an illness was mm. in those in those times. And that's not at all saying, I mean, clearly we're all we're like any of us can be struck down with any kind of disease or illness or injury or anything like that, but there was much less ability to deal with it with things like antibiotics or surgery or things like that. And so I can see why it would be such a pressing problem in the minds of people at that time, um, which kind of brings brings us on to a caveat that we just wanted to state two
1: caveats almost. two
0: caveats yeah yeah that we want to state at the start as much as this is about health I I do want to be clear there will be some discussion of like doctors and medicine but it really isn't a discussion about medicine as a whole concept Uh, I never want it to come across that I'm sort of implying that you can make cancer go away by thinking positively or something like that you know what I mean or by getting
1: enough fresh air
0: yeah that there that there is absolutely a place for medicine and I think a subset of that is that I think there's also a place for a critique of various medical industries and the ways that we approach and certainly we're going to talk about how we approach health as as a concept in general so there's sort of two elements there where you're talking about Yes, I think medicine is a good thing. (laughs) Uh, I don't know anyone who hasn't benefited from the advances in medicine that we've seen. But at the same time, that, yeah, that it's a complex industry and it's a complex entity in our lives as well. The the kind of the way that health and medicine and fitness and nutrition and wellness and all of these words that get like thrown around. Big words
1: and big ideas. Yeah. And we're just going to talk about. Health, common sense, and the countryside.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I Maybe. think in some ways, like it's almost while some of the characters that we're talking about are actually physically ill and need medical healing in that way. I think what we're more talking about is a more general approach to health that health starts way before you get sick and is about how how healthy your environment is and how and your ability to flourish. You know.
1: Yeah, that it's far more than just the combating of disease.
0: Yeah and then the other side to this coin is that the other thing that we're kind of not going into which is almost like the flip side of that which is miraculous healing and and god and prayer for healing which are all incredibly important things and i believe in miraculous healing i've seen the power of prayer especially when it comes to health i'm not i it's not at all that i don't think that that's an important element but in some ways it's so I think it's so difficult to talk about things like that because everyone's experience of health is so personal and it can be extremely painful and I don't feel like even an hour long, hour and a half long podcast on children's books is ever (laughs) going to come close to saying something nuanced or meaningful enough about that. No,
1: we could do a whole podcast series about just that topic and... That's not our mission. And even then, like, yeah. <laughs> I do
0: not feel qualified to talk about it. And so no. as much as we're going to be talking about how it, this topic does relate to faith, specifically, like, miraculous healing is kind of not what we're talking about, or prayers for healing. You yeah,
1: think. and we're not really going into that really painful battle that we can have, which is when we pray for healing and we're not granted it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that is such a big question and there were other great speakers about it. Mm-hmm. I was reading a great article by a lady called Nell O'Leary on Substack.
0: Mm, she's wonderful. Yeah,
1: she was wonderful. Katie Marquette put me on to her. There's plenty of other people speaking about it and thinking about that. We're just going to look at something a little bit more summary. Yeah. Because, you know, it's coming into the summer. And what we're essentially saying is the countryside is good taking time off is good. Spending time with community is good. We hope you get to do all of those things in your summer.
0: Absolutely. That is just perfect. Um, And so I think to sort of round off what we were just saying, there's a famous writer and speaker called Wendell Berry, who is someone that I've heard a lot about and certainly been recommended. I think you were saying you heard about him on Katie Marquette's podcast.
1: Yeah, I think it was the episode on um, the piece of wild things. It's one of her very earliest episodes. But he's just a really great thinker and poet.
0: Yeah, I'd heard about him. I can't even remember. It's been a very long time since he's been on my radar, but definitely someone that I felt guilty that I haven't spent more time diving into. Mm. But in preparing for this podcast, I remembered that he he wrote on this topic and I, I, I sought out some of his writing on it. And it's so great and so there was two in particular that I read there was one of the sections in his book called the art of the commonplace which has the subheading the agrarian essays of Wendell Berry and then there was another which was actually a speech he gave which I believe was then uh, converted into an essay called health is membership and in both of these he takes slightly different angles but in both of them he's talking about health as being something that is part of a communal experience with both people and the place. Uh, and in fact, he defines community in, in, in a way that I really appreciated. He said, I believe that the community in the fullest sense, meaning a place and all its creatures, is the smallest unit of health. And so to speak of the health of an isolated individual is a contradiction in terms. And I really loved that Even just that very simple definition of a community being a place and all its creatures. And I think we'll maybe come back to a a little bit of his view on technology later, but we do reap a lot of benefits from technology and being able to have communities that aren't rooted in particular places. And I know I am a huge beneficiary from that. Most of my best friends do not live even in the same country as me. And I'm so glad that I get to maintain community with them but at the same time i do think there is something kind of profound in understanding community as not only the people but the physical place and space that they inhabit
1: and even the creatures and the nature around that that is part of the community Mm -hmm. and i also love he has this great concept of health as wholeness Mm. that he says to be healthy is to be whole, that the word health belongs to a family of words that show how far the consideration of health must carry us, that is, heal, whole, wholesome, hail, hallow and holy. Mm. And that he talks about all of those things as intertwined to create health.
0: Yeah. And in fact, I think that was... I am not sure if we did reference it. It was I know for certain it was in Eleanor Parker's book that we interviewed her for her at the start of this season, but it's funny how everything comes
1: full circle. <laughs> everything things around <been> that
0: <laughs> But yeah, and so he has in his agrarian essays he has this really in depth look at the way in which we are all interdependent and how it doesn't, this isolation and this fragmentation and saying, one thing is agriculture and one thing is health and one thing is mental health and all of these kind of splinterings and even like one thing is spirituality and faith and that, The fact that we've split all these things up is really damaging our ability to create that wholeness that you were saying, Phoebe. And so this is a slightly extended quote, but I think it's useful before we dive into the more literary aspects of what we're talking about. But he says, a medical doctor uninterested in nutrition, in agriculture, in the wholesomeness of mind and spirit is as absurd as a farmer who is uninterested in health. Our fragmentation of this subject cannot be our cure because it is our disease. The body cannot be whole alone. Persons cannot be whole alone. It is wrong to think that bodily health is compatible with spiritual confusion or cultural disorder or with polluted air and water or impoverished soil. Intellectually, we know that these patterns of interdependence exist. We understand them better now, perhaps, than we ever have before. Yet modern social and cultural patterns contradict them and make it difficult or impossible to honour them in practice. To try to heal the body alone is to collaborate in the destruction of the body. Healing is impossible in loneliness. It is the opposite of loneliness. Conviviality is healing. To be healed, we must come with all other creatures to the feast of creation.
1: I love the ending of that particularly. Mm. Like the concept that it's coming to the feast of creation. Mm. And creation with a capital C, meaning not only this created natural world, but that spiritual healing and immediately thinking of the sacrifice of the mass as well. Yeah. Um the the healing there of course but the healing in all in this whole world that is given to us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so to to move on to our books and to dive back into Goodnight Mr. Tom. I think that story is so good at highlighting the sense of interdependence. Like I said, it's not just that he's taken from and like you know, I, I was in London pretty much this time last year. I love London, but, you know, certainly he, the the book paints it very much like a grimy, sooty, disgusting place. And it's in the middle of the Blitz, so it's even worse. He's and, also
1: taken from the slums of yeah, London. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, and, you know, placed in a beautiful rural idyll. And you're like, well, of course he would feel better. And oh, there doesn't seem to be as much rationing of food. And there's like they're able to make cakes and have uh, there's a at the very start, there's a, a scene where he's given like a bacon like a rasher bacon sandwich. Oh my gosh, it just makes me drool at the mouth every time. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But that feels like it makes sense. Oh, you put someone out in the fresh air and you give them space to run around and good food. Of course, they're going to feel better. And that is true. That's a really important part of it. But it absolutely comes with the love that he's shown, the patience, the kindness. And I think it's really telling that as much as the book paints a very pastoral idyllic picture it does actually reference there's other evacuees who come to the area and they because they have loving families um and don't fit in here and actually they get put with with families who don't really love them and are kind of using them as cheap labor on the farm you know there is a there is a thread of like the reality that you know there is a harshness to the countryside i think Actually, in the last episode on Studio Ghibli, Robin and I were talking about how Hayao Miyazaki was also trying to make sure that we didn't think of the the countryside in too domesticated or or, or too like sweet and and cherubic terms, you know? Yeah, and
1: the, the countryside to Willy at the beginning is even scary. Yeah, and that we do see other, like almost all the other evacuees leave again. Yeah, and they're running away home. And that's very representative of the experience that a lot of evacuees had during the war. This is not supposed to be the demonstration of how they all had it. I remember being really shocked as a kid when I found out that my grandmother was evacuated and had an awful time. Yeah. And me being like, didn't you have a good night, Mr. Tom, lovely time of it?"
0: like, no. <laughs> and that's it because they don't... These characters and, like, your your grandmother didn't necessarily encounter that level of love. Yeah. And so no amount of beautiful countryside is going to make up for that. And so it's really important to see how those things are truly interconnected.
1: Yeah, and I think there's also just such a level of patience and meeting someone where they're at Mm. that Mr. Tom really brings to it. That there's a scene at the beginning where I think it's Willie's just had this bacon sandwich and mm. he can't keep it down, which is the saddest thing. Because it's too rich uh, it's for Too the, rich for him. He's too nervous. Yeah. he's
0: he's so malnourished that this good food and w- what a symbol for the Eucharist and things yeah. like that this is. But you know, we it is true that when when you're not used to such good food, you can't actually stomach it.
1: Yeah, um and then he's had a fright as well, and he's. Being told, breathe in deep. He's being held out the window. Take in a good sniff. He took a gulp of air. I'll be sick, Willie mumbles. That's right, go on. I'm holding you. And that's that patience of go ahead and be sick. Like the freedom to be ill
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. and
1: to be vulnerable and to have your needs met in that place.
0: Absolutely. And similarly, he ends up having a long spell of wetting the bed. And Mr. Tom is so good at... F- Both, like, not making a big deal out of it, consistently dealing with the problem. Yeah,
1: imagine washing sheets every day.
0: Absolutely. And, like, getting Willie involved, like, not like, oh, you get out of here now. That, like, okay, this is just part of our daily chores. Don't worry about, I'll buy you the mattress cover. All of these things that, like, and it's so moving because Willie is so horrified at the idea because i think they have to put the mattress out to dry it and everyone's going to know it's shame and all of these things and mr tom is so good at normalizing it allowing the space for it and allowing willie the f- the f- the freedom to just be ill and then to move on with the day yeah. and not have and- it be this burden that like sits over him
1: yeah like he said. He compares it to when he first got his dog who peed Mm. all over the place and makes it part of, like, the family life. Mm. And then even when... He also keeps it private for Willy, though. Like, when his friends are coming over, he makes up the bed so that they don't see the rubber and they don't know about it. Yeah. Like, it's not like he's saying, oh, no, you should just be free to tell everybody about this. But more saying, we'll normalise this, but we will also... Keep it as secret as you want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That like the the respect of having it not be something that Willie has to hide from the people immediately around him, in in this case Mr Tom, but the dignity of having privacy as well. Yeah. Um, And of
1: being able to choose that privacy when he wants it.
0: Yeah. And that, you know, health is just a real practical element of life. Like that, yeah, of course, you need to throw up if you're not feeling well. But, like, no point trying to, like, keep this down. Um, It's just just a fact and I'm going to bear with you.
1: Yeah. And then there's also just... A really beautiful part where willie first learns to run mm. and it's also that recognition of what he hasn't been allowed to do before mm. and that kind of like mr oakley seeing him in that and encouraging him to be brave and take the step that his health hasn't allowed him to do before and to struggle with that It says that he feels a sudden burst of energy rising up inside him that excites and frightens him. He'd always been good at keeping still. It was wicked not to, he knew, but now he felt a desperate desire to leap and to jump. Tom caught sight of the flush of excitement burning in his cheek. Race Sammy to the gate, Sammy's the dog. (laughs) Run, do you mean, says Willie. Well, I don't mean fly. And then Willie finds it really hard to run and he's stumbling and he's getting really annoyed with himself and falling and then, like, really depressed about how badly he's run. And, again, Mr. Tom, enc- like, meets him in that and just says, can't expect it to be good the first time, takes practice. As that element of these things take time, but they're still worth trying at. Yeah. And it's worth going again and being gentle with yourself but also taking that next step
0: yeah and that like to for a kid to be running around is a good thing and he needs to be facilitated and encouraged and
1: and know that he's allowed to run yeah
0: yeah that freedom to be a kid and the freedom to express himself and and all of those things and and I, I, I'm going to speak a little bit vaguely just because I don't want to spoil too much of the book. But um, Willie ends up having a very terrible encounter and ends up in hospital uh, where he it's and, you, you know, again, like it's painted quite badly. It is also in the middle of World War Two. There's a lot going on, but he's he's essentially sedated because he um, keeps having nightmares and is screaming and it's difficult. And. You know, they're discussing his medical care and Mr. Oakley is like, it's just a totally different world for him and he doesn't really understand it. And and the nurse says, he's under deep psychological shock, said the nurse. He keeps suddenly screaming out for no apparent reason. We've had to keep sedating him. Why? To stop him screaming. Maybe he needs to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that line because it's just that acknowledgement of Maybe he needs the freedom to scream and to be met there. Yeah. And it's also what the institution can't give him. Yeah. That it's not fair on the other patients to have him screaming all the time. Yeah. They're in a very busy, overcrowded, overworked hospital with Mm -hmm. overworked staff. Yeah. It's not an indictment on the hospital, exactly. But when he later gets him home to the village and the, and he goes straight to the village doctor like he goes from the hospital to the doctor it's not a yeah. like dismissal of all medicine and the doctor's wife said says country air familiar surroundings people who love him best thing for him yeah and they agree the sores will heal they've healed before it's the wounds inside that will take the longest to heal
0: And I think that's so key because, like you said, this is a doctor and in in this case, it's a doctor's wife, but she's very much part of the medical practice that the doctor gives to that community that like there there's just an understanding that, yeah, being around people who love you does impact your health being in familiar surroundings. Like it's very unsettling to be in a hospital. I know in the essay that we mentioned Health is Membership by Wendell Berry, he has a really interesting section and even he he doesn't really have answers. He doesn't really know what to say about like, how do you fix this problem in hospitals? But saying how, you know, it's uniquely hard to sleep in a hospital. It's sort of the worst place to like spend time with your loved ones or like that it has all of these things going against you. And obviously you're getting medical treatment but you're also having to give up other elements of your life that typically make you well
1: or parts that are also critical to healing Mm -hmm. the most important time to sleep is when you are sick
0: yeah and like i said there's not necessarily a clear answer on how to sort of i don't know create an amazing hospital where you could have that kind of space or facility but at the same time i just think it's such a beautiful thing to recognize how important those things are and that there is such a, a beautiful gift of community in that way and and, and space for restoring people and giving them uh, a chance at healing
1: yeah and that there is also such that a correlation between the physical wounds and the mental wounds mm. that you get the sense that even if they'd waited until he was physically well the mental healing wouldn't have started and the scars would have been deeper. Mm -hmm. But it's the combination of being able to heal the two together that really matters. And that it is as much about him getting well mentally, Mm. even more so about that than it is about his physical healing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That probably brings us quite nicely to The Secret Garden. Because like I said, I think The Secret Garden... In some ways, it, they there is a sense of community, particularly between the children, and there are further community with certain adults in the book. But in some ways, some of the the community that they get is the permission to be left alone <laughs> um and in that way to not be sort of observed and have like what willie was saying about it's wicked not to sit still and be quiet that like no no just let them run free and be kids and yeah. not be overly supervised or burdened. permission to be
1: children <laughs> yeah
0: or even burdened with like schooling and education yeah. not that those are bad things but you know that 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 there is a time and a place for them and the time and the place for freedom and the outdoors was more important in this particular instance.
1: Yeah, and the, it also has a really big impact on their mental health mm-hmm. because it's, like we said, it's Mary Mary quite contrary. Yeah. That's what she gets called at the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. And it's about the like bad place that she's in and the countryside and the place that she's in mostly bring her out of that and that freedom
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and even like I think this isn't the very first time that she's told to run out and play and like she doesn't even know like what to do in terms of playing so it says out why should I go out on a day like this After each breakfast she gazed out of the window across the huge moor which seemed to spread out on all sides and to climb up to the sky and after she had stared for a while she realised that if she did not go out she would have to stay in and do nothing and so she went out. She did not know that this was the best thing she could have done. She did not know that when she began to walk quickly or even run along the path and down the avenue, she was stirring her slow blood and making herself stronger by fighting with the wind which swept down from the moor. She ran only to make herself warm, and she hated the wind which rushed at her face and roared and held her back as if it was some giant she could not see. And I think even that description hints at, and it says it later, that like... It's this is so good for her, not only her health but her imagination, and that, like seeing the world in these kinds of terms,
1: yeah, and that it kind of takes her out of herself enough that she actually becomes happy,
0: yeah, I think that's really key that like there's a sense of self-reflection in a in a very morose sense that's keeping her. Keeping her back and keeping her unhappy.
1: Yeah, like says, Living as it were all by herself in a house with a hundred mysteriously closed rooms and having nothing whatever to do to amuse herself had set her inactive brain to working and was actually awakening her imagination. There was no doubt that the fresh, strong, pure air from the moors had a great deal to do with it. Just as it had given her an appetite and fighting with the wind had stirred her blood, So the same thing had stirred her mind. Mm. I think that's also so important because she's coming from a place where the servants have kind of seen to her every need Mm -hmm. and tried to amuse her, but they've always been under her. And because they've been under her, she has been in a position that a child shouldn't be in and therefore hasn't had this permission to just go and play and have to amuse herself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that she's also met with love mm. in the form of her her kind of maid, um, Martha.
1: Yeah, she's the housemaid who's like tending on, like bringing her breakfast and yeah. stuff. But it's also very clear that she's like, what do you mean you can't dress yourself?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and actually Martha's mother and Martha's brother. So uh, Martha's brother is Dickon, who we mentioned, the hearty Yorkshire boy. Yep. Um, that they they have this much more practical, common sense approach to children and childhood and so the mother whose name is mrs sowerby she kind of has the audacity to say to lord of the manor that she's in who's only visiting very shortly her guardian yeah mary's guardian mrs sowerby says that she thinks mary needed fresh air and freedom and running about and he actually then goes on to say now i have seen the child i understand what mrs sowerby meant She must be less delicate before she begins lessons. Give her simple, healthy food. Let her run wild in the garden. Don't look after her too much. She needs liberty and fresh air and romping about. (laughs) Which is just lovely. And it's interesting because Mr. Craven, he is able to see this in Mary, Mm -hmm. but he's actually not able to see it when it comes to his own family and his own son.
1: Or rather, he doesn't have... Mrs. Sowerby isn't telling him that about his son.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so that's where we come to. And apologies, it's kind of hard to talk about it. It is kind of a spoiler. But yes, it is her cousin who she meets, Colin, who is this sickly child who's been sort of...
1: We could just read the quote.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's easier.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's this boy and they say that he begun all wrong... Um, mother, that's Mrs Sowerby, said that there was enough trouble and raging about the house to set any child wrong. They was afraid his back was weak and they've always been taking care of it, keeping him lying down and not not letting him walk. Once they made him wear a brace but he fretted so he was downright ill. Then a big doctor came to see him and made them take it off. He talked to the other doctors quite rough in a polite way. He said they'd been too much medicine and too much letting him have his own way.
0: Mm. And so, yeah, again, like Mary, but almost on a more extreme level that he has this issue with being like imperious and throwing tantrums and getting his way. And again, like I say, I don't want to imply that something like a brace or being afraid of physical ailments is always like misplaced, but that there is a sense in which that giving him the freedom to grow up and this sort of hyper attention on his health is, is in turn making his health worse.
1: Yeah, and that he's been encouraged to dwell on his health mm-hmm. and to be afraid of things. So that when they try and encourage him to get up and go outside, he won't do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he's just so afraid. And like, it's such a fear of the world, which is so sad to see.
1: And also coming back into that lack of companionship, lack of community, mm. that he hasn't had anyone else to confide in.
0: Yeah, and that's it because in some ways, the people looking after him don't even realise how how much of the rabbit hole he's gone down in terms of his thought processes on his health you know he's always looking for lumps and they don't even realize that he's doing this you know yeah and And that he's he's overheard scraps of conversations and misunderstood them or like expanded them out to be more than they actually meant at the time and so there's a lovely line where dickens says about oh we should get him out into the garden and he says us would not be thinking he'd Better never been born. Us would just be two children watching a garden grow. And he'd be another. Two lads and a little lass just looking at the springtime. I warrant it'd be better than that doctor's stuff.
1: (laughs) It's a great line. And in his case it is. Yeah. And there's just some lovely healing that goes on through them all spending time in the secret garden.
0: Yeah, yeah and that there feels like there's something that not only is it, like we've mentioned, the health, and I know I've said about the imagination, but that there is something in watching nature grow and flourish and helping to facilitate it and working to facilitate it that has this beautiful impact on their minds as well.
1: Yeah, there's a beautiful line earlier where it says, Mistress Mary worked in her garden until it was time to go into her midday dinner. In fact, she was rather late in remembering, and when she put on her coat and hat, She could not believe that she'd been working two or three hours. She'd actually been happy all the time. Mm. And it's that kind of realisation that she's just been cheerfully busy. Yeah. And how good that that has been for her.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that sense
0: of getting outside of yourself, whether it's in investing in somebody else. Mm -hmm. Like we saw that with Goodnight Mr. Tom, that not only does... Mr. Tom facilitate Willie's healing but Willie facilitates Mr. Tom's healing it is reciprocal it goes both ways that he comes out of this curmudgeonly shell that he's been in for decades
1: yeah like that. Willie knocks him out of his routine Mm -hmm. that time alone like time and countryside alone haven't done the healing yeah but that he has to actually come out of his routine and give to this little boy who needs so much
0: and almost instantly starts investing in his community and it's actually mm-hmm. interesting cuz I think we're going to come back to that with another book that we're going to bring up shortly but that like as soon as he starts expressing love it starts going out into the wider community as well and also that like once you t- you t- undertake to take care of Willie's you know physical well-being then you start thinking oh well you know we have these shifts to keep an eye out for any overcoming airplanes and, like, night watchmen, I better sign up for that because that's also part of his health and well-being and protection, you know?
1: Yeah, like, there's a great line where one of the um, women in the community is thinking about him and says, His forehead had lost its old, furrowed look. The deep, pitted wrinkles about his eyes had softened outwards. Behind his scowling manner was a kindly old man And if it hadn't been for the arrival of a rather insipid little boy, she might never have known.
0: Mm, Exactly. And so there's that sense in which going outside of yourself, whether it's into other people or into the communal space, which is what we were saying with Wendell Berry of like that tending to the land that you live in, tending to the space. Maybe it's even like an interior space, like having uh, like a sense of order in your home, having a space to welcome, um, you know, because I think you and I live in a city, there's a certain amount that you can engage in the, the natural creation but even just that sense of tending to the place that you're at which might even look like supporting local businesses so that you have somewhere to go where people you know it's that it's the theme tune to cheers like you want to be where everyone knows your name that there is a huge benefit in being able to go to a shop where somebody knows your name and says hello and and welcomes you
1: yeah it's so nice when we're able to do that
0: yeah um you and i are lucky enough yeah. that we actually have that to a certain extent in a city which is surprising i always remember a friend of mine once told me I don't I'm I only know it anecdotally so I haven't looked it up but that they did a study of people in New York actually after 9-11 and they found that people who had a regular pub or bar that they went to psychologically fared a lot better than people who didn't Mm -hmm. because even in the small interaction of going to somewhere where you're acknowledged and even in a very very minimal way of like how are you doing like what can I get you having a personal interaction has this kind of beneficial impact and so like i said as much as we're raving about nature in the natural world i do think that it can apply to a bunch of different ways as well
1: yeah and that even what you're saying about like tending your indoor space or like tidying your room mm-hmm. or particularly of pottering on the balcony which is yeah you know outside nature i mean we're still in the city but that tending of the space yeah and because I think when you're ill, that's often when things get really messy as well. Yeah. And sometimes one of the first signs of healing will be that you're well enough to get up and like start putting things straight again.
0: Yeah, and if you have the ability of someone in your life who can help you do that even mm-hmm. when you are ill, it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And to go back to The Secret Garden for a moment, there's a quote, it's quite long but I really love it, which says... To let a sad thought or a bad one get into your mind is as dangerous as letting a scarlet fever germ get into your body. If you let it stay there after it has got you, you may never get over it, as long as you live. So long as Mistress Mary's mind was full of disagreeable thoughts about her dislikes and sour opinions of people, and her determination not to be pleased by or interested in anything, she was a yellow-faced, sickly, bored and wretched child. Circumstances, however, were very kind to her, though she was not at all aware of it. They began to push her about for her own good. When her mind gradually filled itself with robins and moorland cottages crowded with children, with queer crabbed old gardeners and common little Yorkshire housemaids, with springtime and with secret gardens coming alive day by day, and also with a moor boy and his creatures, there was no room left for the disagreeable thoughts which affected her liver and her digestion and made her yellow and tired.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we're not saying that, oh, you can cure depression by thinking happy thoughts. No. No. But that there are also studies that show on a more mundane level, that show that if you go in expecting to be annoyed in a meeting, Mm. that you're more likely to be annoyed in that meeting. Yeah. And that your attitude to something makes a difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As much as it is so true that when you're experiencing problems in mental health, that You hate the idea of reducing what you're experiencing down to like, oh, maybe I should go for a walk. And what you're experiencing is much bigger and much more profound and an incredible struggle for people. But there is also a a mundane reality, which is it does help. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Maybe it won't cure it completely. But every little is going to (laughs) help.
0: And also I think it's important to note that we keep talking about community and structure and all of those things. And I think if anyone listening who is struggling and my heart really does go out to you either in uh, physical health or mental health or both which (laughs) they often go hand in hand that I think it's important to acknowledge that what we're saying here again is that there's so much that goes into health that is about community and as Wendell Berry kind of pointed out that so much of our day-to-day lives are not structured in a way that it helps us or enables us or bolsters us to do well and so it's just important to think of it in this broader context that like sometimes we're struggling just because the way that our lives are set up or our communities or lots of things are not actually structured in ways that help us I and mean, then we can even see this in these older stories that like it's not like we're like projecting onto the past and at another time everyone <laughs> flourished beautifully
1: yeah like they're making the argument that listen you need to give people the space to do this flourishing
0: yeah absolutely yeah. and that like i think we were saying that you know the kids need to be kids and things should be structured so as to facilitate that like willie was never going to flourish in a terrible home life, in malnutrition, in poverty, and in a lack of love. Like that was not going to be a, a particularly positive. That was never going to work. <laughs> um, and it reminds me of there's this really beautiful Chesterton quote where he talks about, in some ways it might seem like um, a tangent, but I actually think it's really core because it's talking about why we as Christians should defend the beauty that is an individual person by the way that we build up a society around them and so he says i begin with a little girl's hair that i know is a good thing at any rate whatever else is evil the pride of a good mother in the beauty of her daughter is good it is one of those adamantine tendernesses which are the touchstones of every age and race if other things are against it other things must go down i love that If Landlords and Laws and Sciences are against it, Landlords and Laws and Sciences must go down. With the red hair of one she-urchin in the gutter, I will set fire to all modern civilization because a girl should have long hair she should have clean hair because she should have clean hair she should not have an unclean home because she should not have an unclean home she should have a free and leisured mother because she should have a free mother she should not have a usurious landlord because there should not be a usurious landlord there should be a redistribution of property because there should be a redistribution of property there should be a revolution that little urchin with the gold red hair whom i have just watched toddling past My house. She shall not be lopped and maimed and altered. Her hair shall not be cut short like a convict's. No, all the kingdoms of the earth shall be hacked about and mutilated to suit her. She is the human and sacred image. All around her the social fabric shall sway and split and fall. The pillars of society shall be shaken and the roofs of the ages come rushing down, and not one hair of her head shall be harmed.
1: It's so good. Chesterton's always so good, but it's so good.
0: It's so good. And just that sense of that the beauty of her hair, again, is is a wholeness to her that needs to be protected, and that seeing it in this larger context is not just a question of saying, well, if she can't keep it clean, cut it off.
1: Yeah, that rather that's that's the just completely wrong solution. That's the unhealthy solution. Yeah. Whereas the health and wholeness is to... Fix society so that she can have clean hair that is long and beautiful.
0: Yeah and it reminds me, I said I come back to just one very short point because it it could be a whole tangent that we could go on but there's a Wendell Berry quote about technology where he says I am moreover a Luddite in what I take to be the true and appropriate sense. I am not against technology so much as I am for community. When the choice is between the health of a community and technological innovation i choose the health of the community and would unhesitatingly destroy a machine before i would allow the machine to destroy my community great so prescient and so important in this day and age and i just think that seeing the health of these children in that bigger context gives us also the ability to see our own flourishing or lack of self actualization actually that was something we yeah. were going to say my dad i grew up on this this thing my dad is obsessed with talking about maslow's hierarchy of needs which if you don't know is just a pyramid a bit like the food pyramid although this one actually makes sense um with like different levels on it and the bottom are things like physical needs like food shelter protection water clothing things like that and then it goes up to safety which is like personal security and employment and actually health kind of falls into that category and then above that is love and belonging you know friendship and intimacy and family above that is actually i find this one's kind of interesting it's it's esteem like respect and like acknowledgement by your peers in a sense that you have mm. a place in society and then at the top is this term which is self-actualization which i feel like is a very is used in a very kind of new agey way a lot these times or like in a quite a selfish or materialistic way like i just want to realize my full potential but also, if we see it, if we see ourselves as saints, that the saint is the fullness of the reality of a person that it is someone who is both fully embracing Christ and Christ living in them, and also fully being themselves and realizing that potential to holiness within themselves.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing how both of these books really address those, particularly in *Goodnight, Mr. Tom. I was just thinking there what you're saying about the respect of their peers. Mm. One of the really key elements, to Willie's healing is also the friend that he makes. Yeah. The friend that he sees who sees him as somebody valuable that he enjoys spending time with. Yeah, And it's that peer recognition as well as the love and support and, and having his physical needs met yeah. that really brings him out of himself into the creative little boy that he is.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And then we couldn't talk about Children's literature on healing, without at least mentioning Heidi.
0: And I leave because, this. I leave this one entirely to Phoebe because I actually have no experience with Heidi. I know it's about a little girl in the Alps and something about sickness. That is my entire knowledge of Heidi.
1: Okay, well, it's about a little girl in the Alps. And <laughs> <laughs> like so you I, said, you right about that one. I'm right so far. Um, and like she's living high up in the mountains with her grandfather. And then, at a point in the story, she gets sent to Frankfurt, to the city. And she gets really homesick there and just falls ill. And this is, to me, an really interesting change of how somebody really happy mm. and healthy, when she goes into a space where she's still like happy in a way that she has friends, but she really misses her grandfather and misses the countryside and can't acclimatise to the city life. Yeah. And she just falls ill, and it, it's just kind of wasting away at her. I think the remedy that for her illness, because it's not first recognised as homesickness, mm-hmm. is just a really applicable one to this. So they bring in the doctor, of course, and he says, The child is consumed to ho- with homesickness to such an extent that she's nearly a skeleton already and soon will be quite one. Something must be done at once. There is but one remedy, to send her back to her native mountain air. So tomorrow the child must start for home. There you have my prescription. And the father of this rich household where she's living says, What? The child ill? You mean doctor, the child who came here healthy and happy? I am to send back to her grandfather a miserable little skeleton. I can't do it. You cannot dream of my doing such a thing take the child in hand, do with her what you will, and make her whole and sound, and then she shall go home, but you must do something first. And the doctor replies, this illness of the child is not one to be cured with pills and powders. The child has not a tough constitution, but if you send her back at once, she may recover in the mountain air. If not, you would rather she went back ill than not at all? Yeah. And it's just that really powerful recognition of the limits of medicine and that the cure that she needs is her home mm. and her, the countryside of that home. And then like, there's another character who comes into it and has great healing in this mountain air and it's this great silence up there far above all the towns and villages and the fresh delicious air where the doctor who then visits Heidi up there says no one can help getting well there
0: yes
1: yeah. and um, that kind of like hyperbolic obviously it's hyperbolic but it's also something true of going to these beautiful spaces and having the community and the love around you and the, the sense of freedom to just be in that space yeah, uh, and that element of beauty leads us very neatly on to the last book Yes, <laughs> which we just about have time for
0: Yes, and I only just about finished reading Phoebe was like, I think this relates, you should read it and I had like three days <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: not quite true No,
0: no um, But yeah, so it was. it's a book which is actually not children's literature but is a lovely book all the same called The Enchanted April
1: Yeah, we thought it would be nice to tie it in with some adult healing as mm. well and this is quite a different
0: book. In some ways, it's maybe a slight tangent. and It's a, it's a book that we might go into more detail in another episode. This is more just like a very specific theme in it or like a little moment in it that we're just going to touch on.
1: Yeah, I think we both have like some things that we'd like to explore about the book and a couple of things we're not quite sure about. But I think this bit in particular makes a really interesting point. And what it is, is... This woman who's been living in a really dry, arid, loveless environment, devoid of beauty mm-hmm. and the like psychological burden that is putting on her. And at one point, she, they're looking at going away to this castle in Italy and she argues that, why it would really be unselfish to go away and be happy for a little while because we would come back so much nicer. Mm. You see, after a bit, everybody needs a holiday. Which I just love.
0: Um, And I think it's interesting. I think both of us feel that the book leaves something wanting in relation to how it understands virtue and even faith. Like it kind of brings up the topic, but doesn't necessarily know what to do with it. But I think it's interesting that this particular character, Mrs. Wilkins, she has a lot of lines where she's sort of like, oh, but we've been so good for so long. Like I just want a break from doing unselfish things. And like I spent all of my life being unselfish. And what's really going on there is that she's feeling a huge amount of dryness because she's doing these things without a receiving love and then also doing them not out of love but out of obligation and duty and so I think it's really interesting that as soon as she gets to this place of beauty and warmth where she's gone to sort of shut out her, like her, her husband, her married life she's not she's tired of, of, of the service that that puts her in and all of these other things that she thinks she wants a break from because she's so tired of having to deal with them. And as soon as she gets there and sees the beauty, the first thing that she does is actually want to give it to them and her husband and that like her sense of goodness then she's actually able to want those things out of love and not out of a dry sense of self-sacrifice.
1: Yeah, that once she's kind of become immersed in this beauty on the first morning, she comes to this realisation that she's been really stingy with her love Mm. and says, The great thing is to have lots of love about. I don't see that it matters who loves so long as somebody does. I was a stingy beast at home and used to measure and count. I had a queer obsession about justice, as though justice mattered, as though justice can be distinguished from vengeance. It's only love that's any good." Mm. And she just has this great desire to love everybody and be friends with everybody and share the goodness that she's experiencing. Yeah, and it comes from the place of freedom and the place of beauty. Yeah, that because she's kind of dropped the like burden of unselfishness. C.S. Lewis says some great things about yeah unselfishness and how that's such a twisting of charity. Yeah. But because she's dropped that burden and is become immersed in joy and in creation, she can truly love.
0: Yeah. And it says that her friend is sort of looking at her and before her very eyes, Lottie became more selfless. The extraordinary quickness with which hour by hour under her very eyes Lottie became more selfless disconcerted her. She was turning into something surprisingly like a saint. And I think that's so interesting about how, in some ways, the, this trip is set up as a like, well, we have a right to indulge in ourselves and to treat ourselves and not think of other people. And I think there is a balance. I, I think it isn't good to be self-indulgent in that way. But I do think it is valuable, like we're saying, to take the time maybe to go on a holiday, to get peace and silence by yourself. And there's a lot of themes of, like, one of the other characters wants to be left alone and then she ends up, like, wanting to talk to everyone. That, like, it's kind of a balance between trying to find the space for solitude in your life, which I think is also important, and then also the demands of love and the demands of community, which are can be taxing and can be draining.
1: Yeah, and also that, that line, think of how much nicer will be when we come back, Yeah, is actually that them going away and this it being true mm. and then taking the time to let that become true yeah becomes a gift to the other people in their lives yeah and the it is true like it's good in that way and yeah. that what looks like an indulgence and for us sometimes looking after ourselves as actually a charity to others yeah exactly that
0: uh, yeah if you become so burdened down that you just become unpleasant that like taking the time to take care of yourself allows you to be more of a gift (laughs) to other people. Like they're not,
1: they're being good in quotation marks, yeah, but they're not actually flourishing and making other people's lives better in their flourishing, really.
0: And I think the thing that I really loved about her thread in the story is, I've mentioned it already, but just that sense of like, as soon as she gets the gift, she's ready to give it away. Like she Mm -hmm. literally, the first morning she's like, oh yeah, now I need to share it with everyone. And everyone else kind of takes their time with this this thought process. But she's so ready that as soon as she gets something good, she then starts giving it away, which I think is, is actually a really Christian and Catholic way to think about it, that like the gifts that we receive are not ours to hold on to stingily. And like, it's funny, I was sending Phoebe some voice notes as I was reading it. I was listening to it on audiobook and I was getting so angry because the other people on this trip are like, Arriving early so they can nab the best bedrooms and trying to block the other people from spending time in any of the other rooms and staking out their corner of the garden and this like you that word stingy and claiming your rights and you know trying to stake out a corner of heaven as Lottie keeps calling it that, like and she's just so like over she was like why would I like that I'm in heaven why would I have this attitude why would I care that you have this attitude I'm yes. in heaven
1: she says she won't come out of heaven for a moment to be cross
0: yeah exactly and that you know that this attitude then does spread and people change their perspective on it But yeah, that we can be so mean-spirited about the gifts that we're receiving of like, you're constantly looking out for who's gonna take a slice of your pie that like, how dare you come near me? I've got my gift from God here. How Mm -hmm. dare you come near it, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think it's almost something that she's the one who's been the most deprived of beauty Mm. in her life um, of the four. And therefore she takes this great expanse of richness Mm. and of beauty and sees this, uh, the overflowing abundance of it, that she yeah. doesn't have to grab at it. Yeah. Whereas the people who are more immune to it are much more, like, possessive of what they want. Yeah. Um. But the other thing I find really interesting about this book is about her character development, is that she's this really nervous, shy... She talks incoherently and unrestrainably at times. Mm-hmm. When she's back in England in the, like dull aridity of her life and then when she's filled up with beauty and with this happiness it says that the happiness had done away with the shyness she was very serene she could control her conversation and she gets that healing from this burden of shyness yeah and the healing from that like mental disability almost it was quite disabling for her in a way yeah and becomes this much serener, calmer, happier person because of the great gift that she's received.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of reminds me, maybe it's slightly a tangent, but I, I did want to pull out, we mentioned C.S. Lewis, but in a slightly different section, he just has this line that I love where he, he's talking about how we can take so much of virtue for granted when mm-hmm. really all it is is an absence of, of trials. in <laughs> <laughs> um, even in very small ways, I think of this line all the time where he says, all sorts of nice things which we thought our own, but which were really due to a good digestion, will fall off some of us. That like idea that the only reason you're virtuous is because your tummy isn't upset. Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: I love the, like the flip side of that, that he continues saying, All sorts of nasty things which were really due to complexes or bad health will fall off others. We shall then, for the first time, see everyone as he really was.
0: Yes, and then he finishes, there will be surprises.
1: And I think, especially for anyone struggling with poor health, that's such an important reminder of how poor physical health, I think we know it for poor mental health, but poor physical health can affect your behaviour and make you feel like you're doing stuff that isn't you. Mm -hmm. Or... That can just be a really hard burden to deal with. Yeah. And there is also that reassurance that God sees through that.
0: Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine who has a a newborn baby and we were talking about, like, the lack of sleep and how difficult that can be. And I, I was kind of bringing up that, like, you know, that... I think they said that, like, sleep deprivation is similar to being drunk, drunk at a certain stage. And yeah. even, like, that you use it for torture and all of these things. And that in the middle of that, as a parent, you have to be a good and kind, patient parent to your children. You know, yeah. that, like, it's it's such a crazy thing to have to endure. And that, like, that sense of seeing the whole of what's going on and that God... Like, thank God that God sees everything, that it's not just the moment where you slip up or the moment that you failed. And, like, you know, I even this year I had a, I, I had a thing where I got really angry at Phoebe for something which was totally stupid. And it turned out I had a sinus infection. And, like, you know, that, that kind of even more thing, than that, yeah. I had, yeah, but like, but what?
1: like, that there was definitely other things impacting your emotions, yeah. And it took in that case, it took someone else saying, this isn't you, something is wrong. Yeah. And those things aren't you. Yeah. And that there's a balance. We have to
0: recognize our culpability. We have to to cultivate good habits. We have to encourage, like we were saying, a good environment of community, of of all of these things. And yet at the same time, there is the flip side, which is that it's like health and well-being and all of these things is such a a complex landscape to be traversing it's part of our fallen world it's part of all of these things that like you know we shouldn't be surprised that it doesn't always come easy that it is actually something that we have to wrestle with and why it's worth looking at these stories of how whether it's children's literature or in this case like adults literature that find ways to cultivate joy and happiness and peace and to in certain ways healing and health and well-being
1: Yeah, and I think if we just finish with a quote from Scripture, Mm. because obviously Christ is the healer and he does come to make us well. And there's a beautiful line at the beginning of the third letter of John that says, My dear friend, I hope everything is going happily with you and that you are as well physically as you are spiritually. Mm. And I think that's such a beautiful reminder that those things can go hand in hand. Yeah. And that obviously there will be some burdens of physical health that will not be lifted in this life. But that we are still aiming for that. Hmm. And we should take care of ourselves. And each other. And each other.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think that's beautiful. And so, like you said at the start, Phoebe, I hope this summer is a summer of community, of nature, of love, of of patience, of all of those really- Of rest,
1: time out, holidays
0: all of those good things and that yeah that that's what we should all want for each other and like we were saying in the enchanted april that like when we get a modicum of it for ourselves that in turn we share it with others
1: yeah exactly
0: and so i think for this episode all that's left is to ask you phoebe what have you been enjoying at the moment
1: well it's been a little while since we recorded a podcast Mm -hmm. so i have a couple of things yes (laughs) i have recently learned how to knit properly Mm-hmm. Um, kudos to our friend Maria, who's been on the podcast at the very beginning. Yes. And she was teaching me to knit at Easter. And I've been doing that while watching, with Rachel, the appendices to the Two Towers.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Which have been great. So
0: I, and I think I've mentioned this before, but like, honestly, I can't tell you as much as like the Lord of the Rings itself and the films have been hugely impactful on my life. But weirdly, actually, specifically the appendices, the making of the behind the scenes discs to the extended version of The Lord of the Rings have also had like an extraordinary impact on my life. And I love them so much. And you hadn't seen any of them, had you? No, not at all. So it was a a great because in some ways it's kind of a niche interest but it's so gratifying to me to have Phoebe enjoy them as
1: well. Yeah we've been having a lot of fun and then the other thing I wanted to mention is my mum and I went to see a screening of The Marriage of Figaro. It was an opera that was screened in the Lighthouse Cinema here from the Royal Opera House in London and it was just really lovely and a really beautiful experience of art.
0: Mm, Lovely. I'm gonna say I also... (laughs) Uh, Phoebe's getting to experience all kinds of new things. I dragged her along to a concert that I was very excited about, which I believe she enjoyed moderately well. I did. Uh, And I thoroughly enjoyed by an American folk song singer. And he sort of arranges them with his instrumentation. Uh, His name is Sam Amadon. And I would really recommend him. I think his music is beautiful and he's sort of quirky and unusual. And his concerts are always like a little bit crazy and and interesting. But I, I really love him. And then on the, on the theme of music, since Phoebe shared more than one thing, I just want to... You've wanna... done more podcasts than me recently. <laughs> this is true. I also just want to give a shout out to our friend Matthias, who has really encouraged me to take up playing music like playing instruments again which given that I did a music degree used to be a really huge part of my life and has not been you know for various reasons one of the biggest ones of which is that my piano is at home with my parents Uh, but I was home with my parents recently and I got to spend a lot of time on the piano which I kind of hadn't realized how much I missed and so hopefully maybe over the summer I get to do that a bit more but certainly right now it's something I'm enjoying very much. Great. And so uh, please keep an eye on our Instagram. We'll try and have maybe a few updates over the summer, maybe a few posts and things like that. And if you want to know when the next episode is, uh, you can sign up to our newsletter. It's on rachelsherlock.com forward slash podcast. And you can just sign up there. You'll get an email whenever our next episode comes out. It should be around the start of September. We are going to record some over the summer, Fingers crossed, I think I've said this before and it hasn't happened, but I'm really determined this time. So, yeah, we will be recording some in advance, which is maybe a little different to how we sometimes do it, but I do think it will make for more regular posting because I do like to be as regular as possible, even when I'm feeling a little bit poorly or something. But you will also, <laughs> and more importantly, be taking a holiday. I will certainly be taking a holiday as well. But, yes, yeah, so you can follow us there. And just want to say thank you so much to everyone who's been listening. We've gone up a lot in Subscribers in the last couple of months, and I feel incredibly grateful and honestly just very blessed that anyone, let alone multiple people, want to listen to this podcast. And so I really don't take it for granted. I am so grateful to be able to have this space to talk about things and to have people care and listen. And so I am very sincerely keeping you all in prayer and wishing you all a very happy summer. Goodbye. Bye this has been risking enchantment music by kevin MacLeod. you can follow me on instagram and twitter with the handle at seeking and you can find out more about me and the podcast at rachelsherlock.com thank you and god bless